Hey everyone, welcome back to Human All to Human. It's season two after a very, very long hiatus, but I've moved to New York, started a new job now, and uh, there's been quite a few reasons I will talk about, but I want to start getting back into the podcast more regularly. So today we're going to be talking about absurdity in our lives or confronting absurdity, and that's like the buzzword we've been throwing out across this whole podcast, you know, absurd, absurd, absurd. And so to really apply this on a practical level, we have to define it. And if we think of absurdity as a starting point, right, as the disconnect between how reality is presenting itself and how we perceive reality ought to be, we can use that as a base. For example, if we were to go off and fight a giant grizzly bear with our fists, that is baseline absurd. And there's some implications in that in the sense that it is absurdity is counterintuitive to what uh, everybody should know, right? And when we use that as a very reductive example, the fighting the bear, it becomes clear, right? Absurdity should be avoided. And frankly, why, why would there be any absurdity in human life, in the human lives, excuse me, because it's, it's such an obvious example. But, um, you know, unfortunately for us, human lives are much more nuanced. And so they're much more complex. Part of the reason why I wanted to run this podcast is because I think you know, notionally, we would say nothing in our lives is absurd or, you know, there's the least amount. We are out in our lives to minimize absurdity because that is least conventional and um, that would be the most hypocritical in a way. And I wanted to dig a little deeper because I think uh, even within a cursory glance, we can see that there are many things that are lives in our lives that are indeed absurd even applying that same definition and we may have to extend it a little more metaphorically but that disconnect between how reality presents itself and how reality ought to be is a little i believe incorrect in itself as as a statement because how reality ought to be implies a sort of command over reality that that humans don't have in the first place so if we assume that r there is no ought in reality and that is more more of a of a human construct right of what things of how things ought to be then we can loosen this definition further so then what is really absurd right if we have no grasp over what ought to be because what ought to be can't be what um, a majority of the people think is right uh, well, not that it can't be, but that there's no uh, authority behind that, right? Other than, you know, the majority want it that way. And so what is absurd then? So how do we envision this disconnect? Well, we're going to talk about this and absurdity can be found in many different forms of thoughts, right? And from a my standpoint as an atheist, um, absurdity would be, not to sound really quote unquote edgy on this, but fundamental human existence in a fundamentally meaningless world and we've talked about this many times before so we won't get into it and for john and tim who are both religious absurdity can come from many different aspects for one i know john and tim probably struggle with the fact that there is still much suffering in the world and that does not uh, to me disprove there is a god um, or anything like that however it does stand to show that absurdity this feeling is expounded um by by most things that happen in the world and that it is more present in our lives uh, those fundamental disconnects that we talked about and how they're more present in our lives than we thought and how we can deal with them and i'll share some personal stories which i think really exemplify what i wanted to get my point across after you know four minutes of rambling but essentially despite all this absurdity in our lives that we may sometimes ignore repress or not notice I believe there are certain defining moments that inevitably stick with us, right? They are indelible. And 
these may be situations we encounter that were very normal before or something that we've encountered many times before and this one instance perhaps sparked more um, of an emotional response than any other for whatever reason. So in our bareness when dealing with these very sparse but tangible moments of absurdity, what do we do? How do we react? And how do we cope? And so that's why I've brought Tim and John here to help us talk it out. Yeah, definitely. I, I think absurdity is very contextual. Uh, it shifts. Like there's some things I'll find absurd. And then I've found that later on, they, you know, I haven't felt that. So I, I think there are a lot of things frequently that happen that maybe I'm not aware of in my life that are absurd at some times, but at the other times mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just ignore it. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to agree with Tim on there. I think it depends on how you are, uh, I guess, how you are made used to it, whatever environment you're in. Like some things that we consider absurd elsewhere is not. There's that. But then I think anyone who pays attention a little to life and what happens, whether it's to you or to people you know, like, yeah, there's a lot of absurdity. And you might call it different things, but... Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree. And Chris, we've talked about this before, but life is pretty absurd. The fact that we are here seems pretty absurd and everything in between. Yeah, I mean, you guys really touched on it. We, we fundamentally, we, we all process this in, in very different ways. People, people, I would say people on the individual level, their, their cognitions when dealing with absurdity can, can vary, right? But I would say as, as an aggregate, it, it, is, it is very natural for humans, as Tim said, you know, to ignore it, to repress it, to, to it, because it's a, it's a very, I think it's a very unsettling, it's obviously a very unsettling part um, of our lives. And, you know, we're, we're, we're beating around the bush right now. We're being very vague. We'll get into, we'll get into, you know, I know I said yeah. we define absurdity. We're going to do it. But do it. We're, we're, we're introducing the context to it, right? And, and right now we've established that it's very contextual, right? People deal with it. Maybe, maybe people experience it more so than they think. And and then you know what what exigence is there to to really understand it instead of you know ignoring it, being unaware or, or repressing it. So um, you know I, as I mentioned, we have went on you know a brief hiatus. It was a a, <laughs> a fairly long hiatus, but but there's been a lot of um, you know triggering moments for for why I asked uh, these two to come on to this episode. But I'm, I'm holding a newspaper in my hand right now it's um let's see it's the wednesday august 20 i know right I'm holding a newspaper that's absurd right <laughs> just uh, i can't believe i'm holding a paper newspaper <laughs> but i I, I, I do get them delivered i like reading them this way um so it's the wednesday august 25th copy first thing i see is um soccer dream drove airport tragedy and i'm sure you guys know what that headline is referring to right away. So, so uh, we're not going to get into detail about what, what this article is saying and how this relates just yet. But this is, you know, to give a good example of, of you know, what I think, uh, it, like a prime example of absurdity in our lives, right? So, so we'll really get back into it. But, but um, as we mentioned before, we've defined absurdity in, in some way, right? We, we left it a little vague. But, you know, we talked about the disconnect, right? The disconnect, the disconnect that arises when we overlay sort of our definition of what's realistic, our definition of what's, you know, what should be with what's, what's happening in our lives, right? So once again, I, I'll make an example. What, what is absurd, right, would be like bringing a knife to a gunfight, you know, that saying. These are all things that are absurd in a traditional definition. And then, you know, how I like to define it in our lives, how absurdity applies to our lives from a, you know, from, for instance, from an existential standpoint. 
absurdity is one, right? We're overlaying this definition onto our, our, our personal life, so to disconnects, right? So when we, when we apply that uh, traditional definition to our lives, we'll see that I think there are many things that we do, we'll see that can be considered um, um, very absurd. I'll share, I'll share a personal example right now. So I will definitely get into the, the newspaper article, but, but um, a few weeks ago, I was leaving New York City. I was with you know, some of our high school friends. We were, we were driving out of New York City, right? And we were, obviously the streets are, um, are, are very full. Traffic is very slow. So we're, we're, we're driving along the street, and uh, when, we, when we pull up into this one alleyway, it's, it's very slow, and we're basically stopped. So we're all sitting in the car, and we're talking. And as we're sitting here, we can see um, you know, a row of basically homeless people going up and down the stalled cars, right? And they're asking for money. And this is not, you know, John lives in California. I live in New York. Tim lives in Maryland. This is probably not, this is a, this is a more common sight to, to, to us, right? This is not, I'm not describing a scene that's, that's uncommon. And so we, we see that type of scene every day. And in, and in this particular instance, one of the homeless people walking by had a you know, very noticeable limp. He was, you know, going to the windows and sort of, you know, gesturing for money. And... When, when, we, when, we, when we really, uh, and, and, you know, thinking back at that moment, the whole car, silent, like suddenly silent. There's, there's, no, there, like, there, I want, uh, there's no reason for us to go silent at that moment, right? We are in a vehicle, the person's outside, and everyone sort of looked away uncomfortably until, you know, the, t- until the situation passed. And, you know, I call that, you know, I, what, what, I, what I describe that as is like a moment of, of and me and John talked about this, nakedness right man facing humans facing the nakedness of the absurd because when when we when i describe that scene as i mentioned tim and john this is this is not an uncommon scene anywhere right seeing seeing a homeless person walk by no and nope. it's no it, it, it it's it's certainly not and you know this moment sticks out to me uh, this this moment in particular has stuck stuck um stuck with me for what's been a few months now sometimes you know i could vividly see the whole thing and and why is that right and you know, part of the reason why I wanted to do this uh, episode is because while our lives can be characterized as a as a as a long period of ignoring what is absurd, these are there. Are, I think there there are these inevitable moments where we're sort of confronted by the, you know the nakedness of the absurd in that way, right? So like these these moments will be the most defining ones, if if that makes sense. So, um, like I said, this was not a, a, a this was not like. Like me encountering a homeless person happens like every other day, but this one happened to be, uh, you know, a more memorable one. So, so that's that's what we really mean when we try to overlay uh, absurdity in, in our lives. And um, I don't know, like I don't know if you guys have had similar encounters, but but like you wouldn't describe that particular moment as absurd. Well, you would. We 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 can. We will. But superficially, when you think about a moment like that. You wouldn't call that absurd, right? It happens on a daily basis. I mean, we'll, we'll dig into it more. But, you know, from, from me just describing this, this story to you from the start, you know, and I'll, and I'll go into detail why I think it's, it's a very absurd moment. But just nominally, notionally, superficially, just hearing the story, your first instinct to be like, well, you know, I, like, it's, it's a sad story, but I, 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 we encounter homeless people on a daily basis. Yeah, I was just, I was just thinking, uh, you know, I've been in this situation i i shut down as well um you know there have been times where i've had interactions with homeless people and a lot of those have been 
the positive ones have been intentional. Um, perhaps when I'm like taken off guard, the way I act is, you know, a bit interesting. Like I would say that then when those times happen, I get into my head and I, I create excuses. You know, I, I think I add to that situation, like, uh, you know, is it for drugs? Is it like for a different reason or what they're saying? Like, are they actually homeless? Or are they just like getting money from me? Um, and then when I've done like missions work, uh, you know, it's been very intentional and positive and helpful. And then, and those interactions always have been. And it's very interesting, like the way I've been a bit two-faced in my interactions there. I would call that absurd. Like you have that caring for the person on a fundamental level, but but you you create this you create this bubble between them that that prevents that you know that care. Yeah, yeah. I think that especially for us coming from like nice suburban peaceful place. I the first thing that came to mind was um, when I first moved to LA for college. I was shocked at how many homeless people there were. Not the fact that homeless people existed, but just how common it was. Because at least where we're from, that's that's just not a thing. Like that's not normal. Uh, in LA, it is normal, especially as you get closer and closer to downtown. And now that I live in K Town, it's it's much more normal. Um, and so much so that now it's not absurd. It doesn't feel absurd. Uh, I think going back to your your question, Chris, or kind of your comments. Yeah, I think. You can get used to what used to be absurd. You can get used to what other people might consider it. But at the end of the day, um, I kind of see it as a, as a thing with expectations. Like, how do you view, like, what is the reality of your worldview? Um, or what is reality? Um, how do you see the world? Because if you see the world as an absurd place already, then there's no being surprised by it. I think emotionally people are. I think it is still shocking to see some things. That's just how... We're built as humans, but in this case, as I was thinking about it, I think Chris, yeah, I've had that uh, that same feeling of like, what what strange situation is this that I'm here in a car or with my friends, like living a secure life, et cetera, et cetera, and this man or woman is here uh, homeless and for whatever reason, and there's so many questions that can go behind that in terms of like, how come me and not them? And vice versa like why am i in this position i mean I, I didn't choose what century or place or whatever to be born in uh, there's questions that go on and on and on and i think to kind of sum up my thought is that to me while it might feel absurd i wouldn't call it absurd because my worldview is that the world is a broken place and that is the reality i mean you can find places that are nice right <laughs> that are peaceful uh that at least on the surface uh but fundamentally, I think people and, and systems are broken. And so the story that you shared is, is really just that bubbling to the surface. It's not that it was never there and I just noticed it, or it's not that it was never there. It was always there and it's whether we choose to, to kind of notice it or not. Yeah, I think you guys both hit on points that I want to talk about. This is perfect. And this is actually, this is actually great. You, you each tackled like both one half of, of an issue I was, I was talking about. So that makes a whole... Um, you know, Tim mentioned uh, th there might have been a two-faced side to it, you know, creating distance, but at the same time wanting to help. And then, John, you were talking about 
um, you know, contrasting your your worldview. Like, what is your view of reality with what's happening? And and I and I fundamentally agree with you both on on on, on many different levels. Uh, the first in the first, you know, I'll go into why. why and John, you mentioned this. It you mentioned this being sort of a continuum of normalization, right? Going from the background that we went from to where we are now. There's a, there's first a, a, a you know a stage of shock, and then there's a normalization process. And so, you know, my this this specific personal example that I shared is one of m many millions and hundreds of millions of similar experiences that me or any other human in the world has has gone through. So there's 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 really nothing special about it, right? And so we go back to my first point when when I say when I say how absurd do people generally think their lives are? How much absurdity do they think are in their lives? And they say, you know probably not much i think that's that's i think it's untrue it's not much that we that that not much that we'll recognize right so in, in that in as in in that example i i walk by thousands we walk by thousands of homeless people a day that specific one has triggered you know this 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 example for, for myself however we, we're, we're witnessing it everywhere all the time right and to say that and then we could look at this at the micro level right for for us in particular well, why wouldn't each individual that we see be sort of trigger this same exact, you know, absurdist moment, these absurdist questions that we're asking ourselves? It, it, they, they all should, right? But it just happens that sometimes one breaks through and, and, and the others don't. So, like, what, then the question becomes, well, in these situations, like, what, what do we really do about it, right? It, it would be unrealistic for us to say to go out and go help every single homeless person out there that that would be that would be an impossible mission right and at the same time can we can we can we go out and say that we, we did our best for that for 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 the people around us so i think it's 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 an interesting question most people have chosen to um sort of ignore these uh cognitions i wouldn't say ignore but like you know process them in a different way and um yeah, I mean, we'll we'll talk about you know an example that I think everyone will agree is absurd later, but it's uh I like I don't know I I, I don't know how to deal with these things. He, I, I don't think any human knows how to deal with these things because at the end of the day, is recognizing that something's absurd better than you know ignoring it is the question. When when either way the 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 end result is probably the same. So um, I brought you two here to attempt to answer that. <laughs> so I can, uh, I can. We'll try. I, we'll try. Yeah. Rambling aside, you guys get what I mean when, when I'm trying to describe this. Yeah, I thought of when you were saying that, and like how the action versus like just recognize it is that enough? Like I, I, I immediately just think about sort of um, the issue of of shootings in America, uh, and specifically come to my mind is like these school shootings and the whole idea of people getting upset about just people giving like hopes and prayers and like recognizing that there's an issue and like sending like what they feel is like best but like lacking that sort of conviction and action that people are looking for and like what actually is is right there uh, even though the issue of self like of absurdity right like so how you're tackling that and like that's what i thought um i'm not even sure what i feel like myself obviously i, I can't claim to be a, you know an advocate or doing anything at this time but yeah certainly like that's sort of what came to my mind yeah as as you bring up 
more issues and I'm sure we'll talk about more of just things that we hear about in the news or witness. Um, I think one thing for me that helps deal with the absurdity, like at least on an intellectual level, is to accept and know that, yeah, as an individual, I am limited. I am so limited from the day I was born to now uh, where, I mean, like I was kind of alluding to this earlier, but it's like I didn't choose when I was born. I didn't choose under what circumstances I grew up in. Like even the fact that I'm here in LA, there's so much that wasn't under my control. And whether you want to attribute that to pure chance, if you know you don't believe in a higher power, or if you want to attribute that to God, as as I do as a Christian, um, there is still that fundamental recognition that each of us is very limited. Um, and, and so the question that kind of rises up in my head is like, so what do you do with that? And as a Christian, what I do with that is, okay, like I am limited. I accept that. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that, but I think that's reality. Um, but, but as a Christian, like God's not limited. And so I think if you're religious or if you're, if you have some, if you believe in God, right? Like God is, is in control. That idea, I think I can expound on this more later, but I think for me, that's, that's comforting in that even if I can't do anything as presumptuous as that might be like that, I could fix all these problems i believe that yeah god god is in control he knows about these things and that might sound like very <laughs> like a platitude but i think that's played out in my life like time and time again and as well as other people so um that's kind of how to answer that emotional question but at the same time while that gives me comfort it doesn't mean i don't notice right how broken things are how messed up things can be or um strange absurd they are like my heart still breaks um my heart still breaks a little bit every time i i see someone who's just whether they're physically financially emotionally mentally spiritually destitute like we see that everywhere and i think every person has some of that in them just a different area of life um but it's like man i'm not the one in control and so it's it's not on my shoulders but someone who can take care of it, it is is taking care of it um yeah, I guess a little more emotionally satisfying, a little hard to see in real life, but that's kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, you 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 definitely you you alluded to it perfectly. There is a significant, you know, vastly uncomfortable lack of control that we have over, like ninety nine percent of the things that that go on across our lives, and especially these situations uh, that we just described. So. You know, the point can be made and then you've made the point that, okay, well, you know, if I, if I don't have the control, I will, you know, defer to someone who has more control. And, and, and in your case, this, this would be this would be God. And um, what, when I think of uh, a lack of control and from from my standpoint as as someone who, who's, who's not religious, it's 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 um, it's an interesting issue because the topic then becomes, well, I could either recognize that like to me all of life is absurd right just sort of strolling through the cycle of life and then it ends you know going through and if we were to recognize all the absurdest events that have been happening right to which there are many right it's not just homeless people in the world there's a lot more death disease destruction you know everywhere so it's it's it, it almost seems like this weirdly you know ostensibly virtuous cycle you know ends in death 
And it's like, well, what do we, do we choose? Choosing to ignore it seems it a lot easier, right? Choosing to live our lives like most humans do, going down the street, you know, if it's not affecting them directly, right? Then, then it's, you know, they try to keep it to the side of their mind. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, admonishing anybody for that. We all do that. I mean, I personally do that, right? It's a very natural human thing to do. So the question becomes, is like, is that a better path than, you know, angstily recognizing it in, in our own way? Because, you know, what, 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 what then becomes different? And I think, um, you know, to, to counter that argument, I think recognizing uh, the absurdity and you know as the podcast title suggests confronting it on a on a intellectual spiritual emotional level can be uh well it, first of all it can be vastly um it can, i think i think it is a vastly superior option right i think first um advocating for ignorance is is um you know a, a poor a poor 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 solution in many ways but you know, as as you as you guys all know, I, I have a few favorite authors, and 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 then you know one of the way he put one of the ways he puts it is, right to sort of struggle and recognize the constant perpetual absurdity is is obviously absurd in itself, and that's like he defines it as the rebellion against human existence, uh, like the 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 the, the paradox of, of human existence that way, so going through life, living through life, right? Especially from a, from a, from a non-Christian standpoint and seeing, you know, lack of meaning everywhere, seeing these absurd events, you know, and even if you're, even if you do believe in a, in a higher power, seeing all these absurd events can sort of make you think certain things, right? And then recognizing it, right? Really putting the absurdity in the center of your focus and then continuing to live through life while while the end result looks you know shockingly similar to just ignoring it you know the the path that it takes you through i think is is well it's obviously more tortuous and it's you know long windy difficult but i think ultimately it results in in you know, an improvement across you know your mental fortitude your spiritual fortitude all kinds of fortitude and it's you know as as the author puts it, it's it's like it's like your own absurd rebellion against this weird absurd cycle that we uh, that we find ourselves in. And uh, but 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 John and Tim, you guys you guys put it nicely. Like we 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 have we have so little control over so many of these things, and the things that we do have control over uh, are, are very few. So so in the end, it's like well, what can we do? And I feel like I'll go on for several more seasons before. I still won't have an answer, but that is okay. This is part of my absurdist movement <laughs> to to continue doing these podcasts and talking about it, but never really coming to a conclusion anywhere. Maybe one day. Uh, <laughs> and one day. So uh, in my hand, I am holding the newspaper that I have referenced at the beginning, and I want to read more into this. I have a bunch of things circled. So I said the, the headline was, Soccer dream drove airport tragedy. So, why don't you please chime in? What what is that referring to? I'm gonna be honest. I did not see. I, I'm not super super tuned in with the news. Uh, only on a macro scale. Only like Tim, general you, things that are happening. Uh, you, you definitely you definitely know what this is referring to, but it might be an oddly specific. Um, uh, Tim, do you want to do, do you do you know or should I read more of the article? Uh, airport. I read your outline, so I know. Airport tragedy. 
airport. So you, so you, wait, so you, so you know. Okay, so John, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, guys, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, so, so, okay, why don't you describe what was written in the outline? And by the way, listeners, there, there is an outline, even though it's pretty chaotic. <laughs> we, 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 put, we put some thought into this, we swear. But, but you know, for, for, for all those who, who may not have access to a beautiful outline like ourselves, what, 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 what was this specific headline referring to? Basically, I mean, if you've been following the news, um, the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan, there's a lot of Afghans who want out I'm, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, for freedom, for political freedom, for safety, <laughs> for, for people to have their dreams. And in this case, it's a, a young, I mean, he's probably around our age or younger, a teenage guy who had dreams to play soccer. And we're not teenagers anymore, John. Yeah. <laughs> younger, younger than us in that case. Um, yeah, I mean, he wanted to get out uh, to escape the Taliban and in his desperation clung onto a plane and then fell off. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, it's a very, uh, like, so when I saw this article, I was at work and it was a very um, unproductive rest of the day for work because it, like, just seeing, I don't know if you guys have seen the photo or the video, it's, it's surreal seeing, you know, this huge metal object plowing through the sky and little specks falling off of it and then you know the closer you look at it you realize those specks are indeed humans hanging onto a plane that has that has launched into the air so so uh to get more into this let me read some more of this article so uh, the headline is soccer dream drove airport tragedy so the the, the boy's name was this specific soccer player his name was uh, zaki omari and he, he was 17 years old so john was right he's a little younger than us uh, he so he um, the plane was going 120 miles per hour and he held tight onto the plane and you know we'll, we'll touch on this later but uh, he was on the phone earlier that morning and they they caught him saying uh, he was talking to his brother his brother said do not go go back you are smart don't go and he was telling basically he was telling Zaki not to go to this airport and Zaki replied I have to try and then. Uh, we all know what happened next. He held onto the plane, made it into the air, and obviously couldn't hold on because it was it was a plane, and, and he fell off and he died. So, you know, what, what how does this relate to our um, episode in particular? Well, for one, if we took the textbook definition of what is absurd, clearly this man's actions are absurd, right? Like, what, what did you think was going? What would be the outcome of hanging on to a plane that's going to fly? right? Anybody can tell you you're going to die, right? And so people in a vacuum, you would call this absurd. Um, when I first received this newspaper and, and I read the article online and then, you know, I got this newspaper the next day. First thing I'd had to do was circle. I, I have this circled right here when he, when he replied to his brother, I have to try. And, you know, when I read that, I think, well, there's, there's really nothing absurd about his actions, right? I, it, it's hard for me to go out and definitively, you know, say that that like that was absurd that was a stupid decision right i mean you can almost just from those words you can almost like viscerally feel what he and obviously we don't have any idea what he's feeling but we, he, he sort of projects some nuance to it and you know it's an incredibly once again it goes back to the point i don't know why this particular imagery or this particular article has been so resonant with me because if we look through uh even our lives 
right? And, and our lives make up a, a speck in, in the continuum of human existence. But if you look at the things that happen in our lives, I think there are, there are things we've seen, been through and heard of that are arguably just as, just as bad or, or worse than what happened. So, so I think it's a little, um, for one, we, right now I think we're living in an age where it's one of the most moralistic ages of our time, right? So there's more of an impetus for people to decide what, and whether that's a good or bad thing, what is right or what is wrong. Um, and, and often that's decided by the majority, which is, you know, could be a very good or bad thing in its own regard. And secondly, obviously the proliferation of media has made it so we are all more we are all more privy to the things that happen around the world and especially that we get you know visual and audio clues and, and cues into it but but even even still um, discounting for those factors I think it is odd that I would be so viscerally affected by one event and and not any others but this one just happened to happen recently so this is why I wanted to talk about it but um, you know long-winded introduction aside, I think obviously it's a very tragic moment, and you, I like I, I I can understand why he did that, and you know there's part of me that can't understand why he did it because I you know I'm not ex wasn't exposed to the same um, changes in environment, but I, I wouldn't say there was anything absurd about what he did. If to uh, conclude my <laughs> to conclude my point, despite nominally being absurd, if that makes sense. Tim Tim's looking at the camera, you know, <laughs> all introspectively. Oh, yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, uh, I definitely feel like there are certain events uh, that really jump out to me as absurd and other ones that will just... Um, I also can understand his actions in the way that you feel like you have no other choice. You know, I think absurdity can be temporarily nullified by, by yourself, uh, you know, you, I'm sure a month ago when none of this was happening or a couple of months, I'm not sure how long exactly this has been going on. He would have had the same thoughts. If he had the same thoughts, um, such an action would have been so absurd that he would think himself crazy and anyone else he told that he wanted to do this would think him crazy. Um, but I can only say that he must have thought, you know, what he was doing was the only course and sort of his, what he needed to do. Um, and the idea of, right, that your absurdity in a vacuum, so does what, does his nullification, personal nullification of absurdity make what he did absurd still? Um, you know, to us, to him, I, it's, it's hard to say, you know, it could be both, uh, but I, I think this this really does though highlight that that issue. Um, you know, John, maybe do you have other thoughts about that? Yeah, just gathering my thoughts. Um, yeah, when you it's interesting um, when you read the headlines and read the details. Like I felt that I I felt just yeah, my heartbreaking for, for him and his family and that situation. And it's not the first time I've been hearing stuff like that about Afghanistan. Um, I think I've been taking like a particular interest in it just because it's, it's yeah, such a crazy situation. But as I think about it, I agree with what you said, Chris, it's not absurd given his circumstance. It's not absurd because he wanted a chance. He wanted to live. I think Chris, 
and maybe whoever else is listening, maybe looking at it in purely terms of absurd or not absurd is 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 maybe not the right way to look at it. I, I just see that as that's reality showing itself um, right in front of us. Like we are just hitting the expectation that things should not be the way they are, like how life or the world is. Like it, it ought to be different. It ought to be better than this or it ought to be not so broken or, or, or terrible that things like this might happen. I, I think that's the feeling of that's where the feeling of absurdity comes from. Not simply the fact whether in a vacuum certain situations are absurd or not. I, I think we can always make the argument that they're not given, you know, whatever context. But that feeling comes from this deeply implanted belief that we don't aren't always conscious of, of that things should be different than they are. Um, as a Christian, that's because I believe that because I believe that the world is a broken place, but it wasn't always like that. And so when God created people, he created them to be like in perfect harmony with one another and with him. And so that's clearly not the world we live in today or for most like all of human history, unfortunately. Um, but that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of how I was thinking about it. it. It's not really a question of whether it's absurd or not. It's absurd in that it's terrible. It goes against what we think things should be, but it's not absurd in that given its cir- circumstance, that's just the reality of the world we live in. Yeah, I mean, like, as, as, as you know, I would think it, it's it's almost reality bearing, bearing its fangs, if you will. And uh, mm-hmm. like we talked about this earlier, the, the world is full of this. And as John alludes to, to you know, what he thinks, and I, I share the same opinion, that the world being a broken place, right? And broken implying that there are things off about it everywhere. And events like these occur on a daily basis and on different scales. And in this one happened to be the one that sort of shocked the world the most at this current moment. But I think, you know, the situations and the events and all the things that led up to it still exist everywhere in all humans today. So just by law, just by law of statistics, something like this will happen again, right? Yeah. So it's, it's not a question of like, will it? It's something like this will happen. It's just a matter of, of time when, so. Um, yeah, and Chris, kind of to, uh, to add another thought to that, um, I mean, a week ago was the 9-11 memorial. Um, I think, yeah, like at least our generation, that's something we grew up in, like that environment. But as I talked to older people who were like, you know, conscious at that time, uh, like adults or teenagers or whatever, like my parents or different mentors, they said, man, at that time, it was like this evil like evil in the world or evil in existence had like reared its ugly head and showed itself on like the world stage. It's not like it was never there. It was always there, but suddenly everyone saw it. And I think it's, yeah, it's like you said, eventually, yeah, just given enough, enough time to pass, like stuff like that will happen and like force people to, to kind of look at it. And so I think, I mean, we were too young for, for 9-11 to really make that imprint, but I think things like Afghanistan, uh, Boston bombing, when we were in, I think, 10th grade, yeah, that kind of stuff puts it in your face, makes you think about it. Yeah, and it's um, it's actually quite a big contrast, as you mentioned, how almost blasé we are about it versus people who are a little older. And obviously, as you said, we weren't conscious about 9-11, but 
you know, the aftermaths of 9-11 have shaped, you know, our whole adulthood, you know, growing up, uh, you know, just based on regulatory changes, cultural changes, societal changes. Uh, I mean, we could sit here and we could name, name different events that have happened. You mentioned one Boston bombing. It's just like, you know, and, until you mentioned it, I literally forgot that happened, right? So it's like, you know, here we are on the same topic. Uh, we're, we're going through, we're processing some things that are happening now. And at the same time, some of the other things that we might have processed on a similar level are, are gone, right? And, you know, how much can we, what is the, our capacity of our mental or intellectual capacity to sort of recognize these things? It's almost as if, you know, one takes the spot of another, eventually fades away and another comes in, right? And it's, um, in, you know, it's, that, that is the cycle of ignorance that I don't want to be a part of, but it is literally, mm-hmm. um, I, okay, I don't want to throw all of humanity under the bus, but I'm just going to say it's a natural human thing to do. So I don't yeah. feel like an asshole, but, um, <laughs> you know, which is difficult. But, yeah, I mean, I'm still just looking at this article, and it's, you know, they got the picture of the boy and everything, and it's, are they really, I mean, they really know their stuff. I mean, I, like, if we just sat here, if we sat here for hours, and we just named horrific events that have happened in our lifetime, I mean, my season, I wouldn't need to do any work for this season. My episodes would be full, so... Yeah, we're we're limited in that capacity to in our in our the capacity of our minds. These things keep happening every day. Things we didn't even know. You know, how are you supposed to keep track? I, you know, I I don't think we're. It's necessarily that like we should be to blame for that. It, it's it's something that keeps growing, which, as you said, like perhaps life just is absurd. You know, and. Like, I don't know. I just thought that like, if everything is absurd, then nothing is. Like, are the are these things actually absurd, or are they just always meant to happen? Like always, and does that therefore nullify absurdity? Well, that's an interesting point, right? I guess if everything was absurd, then the definition of absurd is is moot in itself. Interesting. Uh, I never thought about it like that, but you know what I what I do think is that. Yeah, we, we do have a, just just like a capacity for memory, obviously, like Tim mentioned. So we, 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 can, we can hardly be blamed for that. But at the same time, it's like, at the same time, it's like, what are, how many things have, have went by that we've, you know, all talked about. And then as soon as they're, you know, as soon as the, the fangs are, are, are no longer bared, we stop talking about it, right? Like, yeah. Well, that's that's no way to you know that that almost seems very superficial in that standpoint. Uh, I mean, you see it a lot in 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 movements that happen you know over the last you know one or two years. There'll be a lot of attention and then no attention, and then basically no attention until the next bad thing happens and then some attention, right? And it's like like that Coney twenty twelve thing. What, what like what, what happened with that? That was absurd. The child army in oh, Africa. The child, I mean, dude, there's still like, like, like Africa. I'm still, sure there is. Yeah, right. Like all the time. So this, this this stuff stuff like this is what I mean. Like it turns into a meme. It turns into a joke. But you know, it's definitely not a joke to those African kid soldiers, right? I'm sure it's a great topic for many comedy movies and comedians and so forth. Um, but it's you, you know, the, for those kids, that that is life, right? And and the life they're living is not absurd to them, which is. Um, 
which is quite frankly uh, stunning in its own way, right? If you ask them what is the normal, that, I mean, that is their normal, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, um, yeah, God, I forgot about that too. You know, this is like a great point. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure the more we could sit here, as you said, for hours and, and find examples. Uh, I mean, this this talk's just good. I I definitely am more um, am guilty of ignoring my my way of dealing with absurdity is to to isolate. Um, you know, I'm not very active in media, like social media, like reading the news. Um, just because, I guess, what what I was trying to say with with the capacity was that my capacity is full I, I can't I found myself unable to deal with it um feeling guilt all the time and feelings you know feeling the absurdity of everything and so I, I guess I just chose to withdraw you know this whole past year I'm sure uh if you asked us a couple years ago or even a couple you know yeah probably just a couple years ago like if this if you could see us where we are, like that would be absurd. And so there's levels to it as well. Um, and that sort of has drawn me to like withdraw from, from these ideas and to, to not confront them. Yeah. I mean, you know, even though we call the title, you know, confronting absurdity. Oh no, sorry. I changed it. It's absurdity in our lives. The original title was confronting. Absurdity. <laughs> and that was sort of, you know, that was sort of, you know, it was a little, it was a little, it was a little, um, how I should say, like the idea was that confronting absurdity is simply not as easy as that title made it sound like. And I'm sorry if anybody coming on this podcast thought they could figure out how to do it. Um, as you can hear from, you know, what Tim said and what me and John have been saying, these moments are very visceral. They don't have any seemingly a framework of logic to which of these moments will sort of um, affect you personally you not being me or any of these two are just like as a human level and so we will we'll often maybe not even often we'll find that there are these moments when they're very disturbing almost ineffably disturbing right you, like unable to be described other than you know the nakedness of man or humans uh, being being met with the absurd and and, and um, frankly there's really no well there is there is no solution to it there there just there just there just simply isn't um, uh, in, in in my eyes right there there are, there are ways you can deal with it that are better than others but um, you know I think now now that we're talking and now that I'm uh, sort of rambling something has come over my head John you have um, if I and please correct me if I'm uh, not characterizing this correctly, you have basically decided that uh, through your adulthood and your you know foreseeable future, you want to take a more active role in like Christian development across your uh, you know across your region, and that um, presumptuously means less of a focus on like more traditional things like career, you know, et cetera. Am I am I characterizing that correctly? Yeah, yeah, I would say that's correct. Yeah. So um, first, why don't you why don't you talk a little bit about that, and then I will I will um, lavish you with compliments about <laughs> how that's relatable to the podcast after. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess to give it a little background and backstory, so it, it kind of makes sense in in the cycle of my life and and I guess life in general is that 
Um, the reason what Chris is describing is has been a long story of, of my whole life as, a, as opposed to something I recently just, you know, got onto. And, and what I mean by that is that, um, I mean, so I'm, I'm Christian. I, I believe that um, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, my personal Lord and Savior. I think that's probably the most fundamental definition of that and that I follow him. But that's not that wasn't always the case. Right. Like I, I wasn't born this way. <laughs> I wasn't born having these kinds of thoughts. Um, uh, but I think over the course of my life, God has pursued me to have a relationship with him. And I mean, just like anyone else, I think going into college, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get a job or start a business and, and, and go from there like a lot of a lot of people. But the reason why, as Chris has described, I have elected to put more time into um, reaching out to people and, and sharing this relationship that I have with God with other people is because it's something very valuable that I've found. And I kind of liken it to um, like with any group of friends, right? If you find something that's really awesome, that will help your friends and help other people, like you would go tell them, right? You tell them the good news that's happened to you. Uh, or another example, it's probably more, well, a little more relatable is if someone suddenly found the cure all for COVID, right? the vaccine that would, you know, make COVID just not a thing anymore. We could come out, no mask, no, nothing. Like, hopefully that person would probably tell as many people as they could, right? They would go to every news outlet. They would, like, demand that governments fund that so that it could propagate to the, you know, to every corner of the earth so that we could be out of this, like, terrible, you know, two years That's how that has been come upon us. And that's kind of, kind of how I see my relationship with God. Um, I guess to, to kind of like summarize it and cut that, it's like, man, like having a relationship with Jesus has changed my life so, so dramatically and given me so much peace where I can live in this crazy, terrible, absurd world that we live in and have peace that I want to share that with people. And for me, that specifically looked like uh, sharing it with, with college students. So, I mean, we graduated like what, two years ago, so we're not that far out, uh, but just so, so that other people can can have what I have. And um, I think it's very natural when you find something good to, to do that. So that's kind of the, the reasoning behind that. Yeah, I think it's, um, and, and I, why I think it relates to this podcast, I mean, it's almost it's almost like an impossible mission you've embarked upon, right? <laughs> to, to um, you yes, know, sir. This, this, this holy mission to, to sort of spread the word, get more people involved, right? And it's like, you know, hopefully, if in your eyes, hopefully, you know, when you're gone, other people will be there, right? But there's no, you know, there's no guarantee that that that, that will happen. So it's, I think it's very, it's very, it's 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 a more active approach into dealing with the absurd. And and I wanted to highlight this because it's, um, I think it's a it's a it's a positive example of of a person uh, dealing dealing with a situation like um, an existentialist situation, like all the questions that we present ourselves why is why why are all these terrible things happening what am i doing here right what what is what is the meaning of all this right answers that you know definitely they just don't have uh, sorry questions that don't have answers to them right and i mean we've been talking about this through the whole podcast time and time again has proved that absurdity time history examples have proved that absurdity it, we are submerged in it and you know from left to right and absurdity comes, you know, it, with with difference with in a difference in a, in a in a spectrum, right? We 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 have at one level, you know, this article that I just read 
you know, soccer dream drove airport tragedy, uh, you know, events so tragic that have, you know, culminated in people hanging on to a flying aircraft, falling off to, you know, maybe lower ends of the absurdity scale, you know, being confronted with, uh, you know, homeless people, the higher ends of the absurdity scale, like, um, you know, just people just not being able to eat enough, like across the world and like everywhere that's not here, Europe or like three countries in China, in Asia, excuse me. So it's like, um, th these are all pressing questions, obviously. And uh, a lot of people, some people dedicate their lives, which it looks like John is, you know, getting on that path to sort of uh, trying to solve it themselves. And um, w which we just established is, you know, like Mission Impossible 5. So uh, <laughs> I, it, I believe it's, you know, truly commendable. Yeah, you know, Chris, uh, it, yeah, it, it's really interesting. Like, um, I, I think I alluded to it earlier this episode where, like, I think what I'm doing is not absurd in that it's it uh, it feels like Mission Impossible. I mean, if you just look at like not even on a global scale, right? So I'm at I'm currently uh, serving at uh, USC University of Southern California. That's like what thirty five thousand students. That already feels <laughs> feels impossible. Um, like how could I'm I'm with a team of sixteen, uh, including myself. Like how could we possibly? reach so many people or even like talk God, talk to lot. that many yeah. people yeah right let alone let alone say like hey i'm christian or except whatever you know whatever we decide to do but um i alluded to the fact earlier that you know i believe in a god that created this universe and that he's in control ultimately and uh, the fact that i have a relationship with him is not anything i earned right it's it was a gift of grace it was something that out of his love for me he gave to me and that's like something that i can only have gratitude for and pay that gratitude forward and so it doesn't feel absurd in the mission impossible sense because i'm i'm not the one who you know changes people i'm not the i'm not jesus right so to put it succinctly i'm pointing them to jesus saying like hey he's the answer to you know whatever soul longing people have um yeah it's it's not think i think if i dwell on the fact <laughs> that there's so many people who are suffering physically mentally emotionally and eventually spiritually right i think that's probably the highest priority if you believe that there is a soul and that soul lives past this physical life if i dwell on that and i dwell on what i can do about it then yeah it, it comes to this like despair of like dang like i'm not enough but i don't need to be enough um <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that, that kind of kind of puts it how it is. And, and it's not just me, right? I'm, I'm merely um, a, like a, a tool being used, um, like a, you know, a tool that has a relationship with, with, uh, with Jesus. Um, yeah, Jesus, not to, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll cut it off there so I don't hear me. Jesus is, you know, Swiss, Swiss Army knife is, is what we'll call, <laughs> we'll, we'll call it John from here on out. <laughs> I mean, look, you do, you do, you do, you do a good. You, you've always been a, a salesperson, John. You do, you do, you do a good job that way. You know, I've, I've often, um, like, obviously, we've talked about this for me and John have talked about it. Me and Tim have talked about it. I've talked about it on the podcast for for hours and hours. Uh, it, 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 I see it as basically physically impossible for me to believe. Well, not okay. Nothing, nothing is impossible. I, I, it's going to be very difficult for me to ever sort of believe in a higher power or religion. And at the same time, you know, some, sometimes I wish I did for, 
you know, many of the reasons that, that John just mentioned, right? I mean, it's, it's a whole a lot of despair happening for no reason if you don't believe there's a, well, if there, if, there, <laughs> if, there, if there is no reason to it, then it's a lot of despair happening for, you know, for, for whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, certainly, it's certainly a very, very arduous task that John has set upon and uh, I do commend him for it. As I, yeah, as, quite, I uh, as I have in the yeah. first episode that we've done in season one. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was a good time. But uh, I guess like I um, out of per personal curiosity, I don't want to hijack the, the episode, but I, I'm just curious. I I don't know if, if we talked about it, but Chris, what are your reasons for not believing in a in a higher power, whether you want to call that God or, or whatever Ooh, else? Interesting. Let's see. Well, I think. Uh, I could give you a bunch of, um, I could pontificate a bunch of reasons, but the, the primary one being it obviously wasn't present in my household all my life. So that's one obviously large barring factor. And, you know, the other large, uh, the other, you know, factors that make me not inclined to believe in a religion, um, well, well, there are several. I think uh, from how we've seen uh, certain religions developed through history there's been a whole mm -hmm. negative human influence in it that mm -hmm. has um, if, if you know what I mean right humans have tended to intercept the you know the good messages of, of, of um, religion for, for more selfish for more selfish uh, purposes and uh, mm -hmm. as you know I do happen to read a lot of very angsty writers like um, <laughs> Nietzsche and Camus and uh, you know I, I, I can't put it any more eloquently than they can so I will I'll be leaning on on some of the uh, some of the some of the points that they've made that I that I do agree with uh, for one um, and, and obviously you, you, you'll disagree with with a lot of these points but, but for one uh, Nietzsche puts it that how should I say uh, he, he believes life should be a human should live um, a positive life affirming existence while religion can sort of be negative reinforcement, uh, it's, it's, you know, especially, and I will say, especially during his time when a lot of the religion was centered, like a lot of the uh, discourse around religion was like, you're going to hell, do something about it, right? So, so that's uh, very negative affirming in a way. And he, he really believed in a, in a life affirming action. And um, uh, well, I would say that uh, the fact that religion gives life meaning is perhaps um, yeah I mean it's, it's it's perhaps one of the things that I that I, I tend to uh, disagree with uh, because you know it's hard for me to make sense of, of of any meaning here you know I could pontificate all day but but I, I like largely it was never in my household and now I'm at a point where you know I don't feel like I need it so if that, if that makes sense Jonathan yeah, yeah, I understand. And and Tim's there. Tim's looking a little. Tim, Tim, Tim wants to say something, doesn't he? No, no. Um, you know, I could argue we're beating around the bush, and that this question of absurdity could be answered by by God, you know, by religion. I, I'm guilty. I'll be the first to say it. I'm guilty of the human interaction within religion. It's in the church and some of these ideologies and rules that surround, you know, having a personal relationship with God. I would say those things have detracted from my relationship with God. You know, maybe 
John might agree that that you know the more you think about it, you know what else can really answer this absurdity question, right? Like John mentioned how, you know, when we as humans try to understand these events, try to understand what we're mission is, um, it can, it will seem absurd and you can get lost in that. But to God, it, it's not absurd. Uh, and it's just plainly that simple. And, you know, that, and that, that's really, that's really it. You know, I don't know, uh, like any other way to kind of put that, uh, it is a bit of a paradox, like trying to rationalize, like then like going forward, like, a, you know, everything God does is like, it's not absurd. And, and then us trying to understand that is absurd. Like there's a weird bit, like getting, you can, you can easily get lost in that, but, um, definitely something to think about <laughs> yeah but even you know like, yeah I, I think it's clear even believing in a god doesn't it doesn't it clearly hasn't it clearly doesn't make john or, or you think that there is no absurdity in the world which which you know is 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 which still which still makes it uh, you know an, an issue i'd say right like ha- having the comfort of believing that there is a god who who has you know the ability to has, has recourse to you know solve things in the world right still doesn't predominantly change the fact that right now as we see it there is very much you know absurd things going on in 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 the country in across the country and across the globe as we see it yeah i and i think um yeah i had two responses one to what you just said and one kind of linking back a little earlier i I think it's probably a good thing that believing in a god doesn't mean we kind of just like oh everything's like happy-go-lucky i think it's probably a good (laughs) hard check right, that we still respond mm-hmm. to terrible things, right? It, um, yeah, like, I, I'll, I'll just cite like a quick, like literally probably the shortest verse in the Bible, which is Jesus wept. And I think if, you know, in the context of our conversation, like why would God, why would God cry? Why would Jesus cry? Like, isn't, if he has everything in control, like he knows what's going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But that doesn't mean his heart isn't like, with and, and for people. And, and the context of that passage is his friend died. His friend recently died from, from disease. Um, and he gets the news and he webs because he loved him and he cared about him. And, and I think that is the heart of God, right? Even though he is, you know, in control, even though he has like unimaginable power over et cetera, you know, XYZ situations, like that doesn't mean his heart isn't involved. And I think he makes himself vulnerable in that way, because he doesn't have to, right? I think God, if he wanted to, uh, you know, he didn't, he wouldn't need to care about people, but he does. Um, I think likewise as people, it's like, well, (laughs) it would be kind of cold if I said, um, oh, I believe in God, so it's all good. And like, I don't care (laughs) or like all that stuff that happens to other people or to me, it's like, whatever, you know? Um, I think another thing, so that's that. And the second thing I was, kind of thinking about was um chris like what were you saying what you were saying about you know your own beliefs of um, not believing in god or uh the reasons why i think those are fair points i think especially you kind of mentioned uh two things one that you didn't grow up with it um i grew up with it and so i, I would admit that it does make it god intellectually easier to believe in when that's something that's like part of you know, you know your upbringing but i would also caveat that to say that that doesn't 
you know, my background or someone else's background does not lend more or less credence to the truth of something, if that makes sense, right? Two plus two equals four, um, regardless of how you grew up. Um, just to it's give actually, a very- It's actually really funny you say that one of the, uh, one of my favorite books, it's by Fyodor, you know, Dostoevsky's, it's called The Underground Man. What, in the first, you know, few paragraphs of the book, he says, why should two plus two equal four? And like, he, he his basically his point was man will essentially bend over back and I, I and, you know I say man I mean humans right you know 2021 yeah. gotta be you know gotta be PC uh, <laughs> but uh, basically he was making the point that um, like sort of two plus two equals four being defined um, is is uh, like anathema to to man who who will do anything to who 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 is you know inherently irrational and basically. He, he his point was you know if you if you told a man like this is like if you explained this man down and all his actions to the very bone he would do like he would do anything to show you that 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 is incorrect right he he will like if you tell him what he's thinking what he's gonna do like how to live his life man's like irrational reaction would be to say no like you, you can't do that right like uh, I'll, I'll act crazy yeah. but sorry that's that's just that's it, it's I mean it's it's relevant to our time topic but that's the first thing I, I, I that's what I think of anytime I see hear the hear the words hear people use the saying two plus two equals four you know but but sorry I cut you off please please finish oh uh, no you're good um no I think <laughs> I, I think that description of people is very true uh that even when in the face of what you know at least from our perspective is objective truth or like something that you can't argue against, like we still argue against it. That's, I think that's how people are. Um, I think we can talk about that more later. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I guess to go back to what I was saying, your, your second point is that, uh, well, first I was saying, yeah, like I, I think, um, I, I get, I understand why it, for you, like you didn't grow up with religion or God. And I think what I would, as a friend to a friend, what I'd encourage you to think about or maybe a different way to think about it instead of religion. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Religion in history, as for me as a student in history, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like religion has brought, religion as an institution has brought about a lot of pain and hurt, uh, which it, it shouldn't, right? But I think the reason why I talk about my relationship with God is that kind of circumvents that whole religion thing. Um, it's not so much like a set of rules and do's or don'ts and like organizations that you're part of, as opposed to like knowing on like a one-on-one -on -one basis, like a friend to a friend, right? Knowing knowing Jesus, um, that's kind of how I think about it. Maybe maybe that's a, a, a more, I would say a more um, precise way to think about it as opposed to like organized religion. Yeah, I mean that's that's like almost what the modern day spirituality is defined as, right? More more of a personal relationship rather than dealing with you know ecclesiastical courts and so forth um, I still I have a, I, I have that copy of the book you have in my bookshelf and I haven't really read a book since I moved to New York I've read one and I'm slow on my schedule so that that is next on my book so that, that next on my book list I was supposed to read 20 books this year I'm at like 12 really and, uh -huh. and hey, you're almost there well, like I did like 10 of those in the first three months of the year. So oh, okay. if you extrapolate that, my pace has not been, <laughs> my taste has not kept up. But yeah, John, John and I have exchanged books. He gave me 
a, a nice and concise one that I will read, and I gave him like a four thousand page philosophical <laughs> 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 novel. Nice, <laughs> hopes nice. that he'll someday finish it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm to be honest, I still have to work on on that on Brothers Karamazov and Myth of Sisyphus, both of which are nearby, like either at my bed or bookshelf, and I'm just like, oh man, I need that. Yeah, I mean, mythicism is this. tackle. It, like, that's digestible. It's like 100 pages. Brothers Karamazov, that's like 800 pages. I will not lie. <laughs> it, 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 was, it, was, it was, but like some of the scenes are so iconic in that book. Like, especially, I mean, this is good. This is written, written for, for a background. Dostoevsky, he was uh, ultimately, uh, so in, in the book, there are three, and I've, God, I've talked about this book every freaking episode I've done, <laughs> but I will continue talking about it. Uh, it, they call they call the brothers Karamazov because there's three brothers and they each sort of represent a different aspect of Dostoevsky's struggle, internal struggle that he had personally with religion. One of them is uh, is the intellectual brother who finds it really hard to believe in God, but at the same time, right, like um, having a strictly really coldly um, rational view of things has has you know caused him a lot of pain mentally and, and so forth. Mm. One of the brothers is a very pious brother who, who believes in, in, in God and, and is, you know, in, in the book, he's objectively one of the, you know, nicer characters. And then obviously through the book, you realize that Dostoevsky has chosen religion at the end of his struggle. Like the, the writer Dostoevsky has eventually chosen over, uh, chosen Christianity at the end of his life um, through a struggle and then the third brother is like a totally sensationalist brother like just all about you know touch feel sex romance and stuff nothing really about um, intellect or or, um, or or religion and like as I mentioned Dostoevsky throughout his whole life had a had a struggle with with um, whether or not he should believe in religion for, for, for many of the reasons we've talked about right uh, mm-hmm. he found it he found it both um, both a, a good place to lean on to describe the absurd, but at the same time, um, almost a creator of, of absurdness in many ways. And so that was obviously a, um, uh, that's, that's why I recommended John to read the book, but it's like, it's, um, it, is, it, is, it is substantial. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is very yeah. large. No, I got to yeah. chip, chip at it. <laughs> yeah. It's like being in high school again. Yeah. Uh, is there any closing thoughts you guys have on the, um, I mean, listen, welcome to season two season two is here and, uh, welcome i hope you guys found this an interesting topic because it, it it certainly was to me i think this has definitely been very educational for me um i would say my own takeaways is uh i, I don't really believe that we answered like anything like understanding. <laughs> like un- we didn't answer understanding absurdity or like solving it but I think we agree that just confronting it, you know, is, is, is the next step. And it, it's like, as John said, like his mission to understand 35,000 people like that, um, that sounds absurd uh, on the overarching end, but like just day by day, like doing his thing, like that's, you know, just going at it. That's how you kind of confront it. Um, you know, you could say it's like more uh, battery, but like more piecemeal makes it less absurd, like trying to like digest it piece by piece, but digesting it nonetheless. So that's definitely something, um, I took away from this. Yeah. We're never going to solve the question of absurdity, Tim. 
gotcha gotcha really? any I listeners thought, i who... thought we were uh, <laughs> writing in the new book Oh, yeah, yeah. We were the authority. Hey, I on, actually, on yeah, <laughs> I actually do have uh, writing a short story slash writing a book on my bucket list. Uh, oh. I'm trying to publish a short story on Amazon at some point in the near future. Uh, who okay, knows nah. if I will actually do that? But yeah, I mean, uh, Tim kind of just like made me think about it again. Like, yeah, the crazy task that I found myself in um, reminds me of a story of uh, a boy on the beach and he sees a bunch of starfish and they're dying because they're on the beach and not in the water. Um, and he's throwing them back into the ocean. And then his granddad or an older guy says like, oh, why are you doing that? There's no way you can save them all. And he's like, that's true. But when I do this, it matters to that one starfish that I throw back. That's kind of how I think about it. I think that is at least on an individual level, a little more emotionally palatable. And for me, like if, if eternity, if people's souls are at stake, then one soul that's, that's even one soul, right? Being thrown back into the ocean or, um, yeah, that's, that's worth the effort. And I think for me, I really enjoyed this talk to not only catch up with you guys, but also just like talk about this, like to take time, stop, think about like reality and the world we live in. And I would encourage anyone who's listening. If you are also thinking about how absurd the world is and life and your own experience, like I would encourage you to look deeper into that and not just like ignore it and blow it off that's such such a tempting thing to do to not think about it i think we've all like done that where it's like oh i'm just not gonna think about it um but i think as a you know as we all try to grow like that is a more mature response to lean into that absurdity as as we're kind of saying and try to find answers i think i personally think there are answers but you know you gotta look so that's that's what i would end with and and like and the answers may be completely unsatisfactory, but at the end of the day, like you, you've done it. Like you, you've went through that. And I mean, if, and, and if, if, if at the end of the day you decide that there is no answer to this, well, then as Camus puts it, you have basically your own little rebellion. If I were to, like John's story about the starfish, right? Uh, and, and we've talked about this, the, the nihilist being the person who would say, well, like why the hell do you keep throwing these starfish back it doesn't matter like in the end of the day right you save one two starfish they're all gonna die in like whatever how many starfish years they live and then you're gonna die and it's like you what you're doing is literally pointless whereas um someone who maybe has confronted absurdity says uh, you know I'm, I'm throwing these one by one i know it's pointless and i'm still gonna do it right that's my that's my own little answer to the absurdity of life i will act in a similar absurd manner and you know i simply don't care and so i think um if we just contrast those two i think one is you know definitely uh very very much um preferred over the other uh, and before we end uh, i do have this quote about the two times two makes four i want to <laughs> i thought it was such a funny quote so it was two plus two and no it's actually two times two which I mean, they both equal four, so you know. <laughs> so it works out. Yeah, it works out. So the the, the, the the start of the quote is two times two makes four. Why, in my opinion, it's mere insolence. Two times two makes four stands there brazenly with its hands on its hips, blocking your path and spitting at you. I agree that two times two makes four is a splendid thing, but if we're going to lavish praise, then two times two makes five is sometimes also a very charming little thing. So um, you know, from just from this paragraph you can get a sense of what kind of writer Dostoevsky is he's very um he, he, he's he's dark but he's also satirical he's comedic and you know he's you know one of the best writers I've ever 
I've ever. Uh, I'm basically trying to get the Dostoevsky Foundation to, to pay me right now. I can't keep. I can't keep. The, I can't. I can't run this podcast on my own. On my own dime. I gotta. <laughs> <laughs>